the energy in your body is is unfathomable. People have no idea what their capacity what their capacity really is in their body. And it's not until you really get it dialed in mentally. So I don't know. For me, for me, Leadville was 80% mental. And it's like you had to be able to say it's possible. Welcome to the Mental Training Lab. I'm Pete Kadushin, your host, and my job is to have fun conversations that leave you with actionable tools, little experiments that will help you improve your mindset and mental skills so that you can do the things you love at a higher level. Our guest today is Brett Malone. Let me tell you a little bit about Brett. Brett is a dynamic executive now leading the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center, one of the largest research enterprises in the country. He's fluent in a broad range of technologies, and he's had an absolutely wild career that includes four successful startups. I mean, he's been in aerospace, biotech, software, engineering. And the thing that really stood out to me in this conversation was his passion for building and leading high-performance teams. On the personal side, Brett is an accomplished ultramarathoner. He's run multiple 50Ks, 50-milers, 100-mile races, including the Leadville 100 out in Colorado. And he's also coached marathon runners and has helped hundreds of first-time marathoners get across the finish line. In this episode, we zoom in on the process of reinvention, and we talk about why it's useful to find activities that you aren't good at, and we dig into how to test out new experiences to see if they're actually a good fit for you. But enough already. Let's get to the show. Brett, welcome. It's so excited to have you on the show. Really appreciate having you here, and I'm excited to talk a little bit about uh, really unpacking what goes on in between your ears from a performance standpoint, because you've spent a lot of time on the trail. Right, but then also thinking about what that would look like for entrepreneurs and researchers and how they could also leverage those mental skills. And so uh, that's a long way of saying thank you and welcome. Thanks, Pete. It's great to be here. And I really look forward to, to sharing this with you. And uh, it's exciting to be your first guest out here into the podcast and looking that's forward right. to talking about trail running, ultra running, entrepreneurship and everything in between. Uh, and hopefully this is not too serious a conversation because at this point, you know that I'm not that serious of a guy. Uh, to kick things off, so we were talking a little bit before we hit record, and you said that in this month alone, you'll have surfed the Outer Banks, uh, you will have swept a 50K trail run, uh, working on the support squad, uh, you're going to race motorcycles, and you're gearing up to paddle surf the New River. Did I miss anything? No, that's pretty it. That's pretty much it. It's Mar March Madness, so I'm trying to cram as much adventure as I can into the month of March. It's an important month for me. And uh, why not find a better way to celebrate than get out into 45-degree Atlantic Ocean and, and surf the Outer Banks? And, you know, I just finished uh, on Saturday. So I helped a good friend of mine uh, run a 50K where I was the safety runner, make sure everybody completed the course safely. So that meant I was the first guy on the trail and the last guy off the trail. Uh, and, and it's just a lot of fun, especially when you put your mind – when you're helping others. And uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to wrapping up the month with a little bit more adventure on the racetrack with the motorcycle. That's wild. And uh, it's, all my growth, it's, all, it's all new growth experience mindset. But I, I love, well, I mean, you're clearly, you're looking for new opportunities, new ways to engage, uh, way to, ways to go fast, you know, Mach 5 with your hair on fire. And uh, so one of my questions though, because you have a new day job. And so I'm curious how you think about time and how you fit together the training, the playing, and the working. Uh, and so how does that all come together for you? 
Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that. Mastery is overrated. So that's my current uh, mentality, which is get into it. You know, I've got enough trail miles on me. You know, after having done Leadville and training like a maniac, you know, and, and breaking your body down to almost nothing and always spending time being injured, I'm actually taking a more holistic view of it. And, and really just, you know, trying to get out there and do different things, mix it up. And, and I think the variety it definitely keeps me motivated. And I don't feel like I've got one gigantic uh, rock to break down and I've got to train my guts out for one race. And so it's actually very easy to do and it keeps me mentally sharp because I'm moving from adventure to adventure. This actually led me into my next question really well. And I wish we had planned this actually, but we haven't. And so I am curious because your performance experience, your, your performance life has evolved over time. And so if you could give us the quick sketch, you know, if we were going to be writing your performance story, what would some of the major chapter headings look like? Man, okay. So personally, I did a lot of marathoning. So one thing that I will say is I spent way too much time being sort of, one, you know, one sport focused, Mar you know, road marathon running. And we were coaches for Leukemia Lymphoma Society. So I started doing a lot of marathons. There was a point where, you know, I was doing five or six marathons a year. I think I have probably over 40 marathons under my belt and all with, you know, with the good team of raising money for Leukemia Lymphoma Society. We were coaches. So we mentored, we, you know, we coached, we advised. So we spent, you know, every Saturday on the trail with long runs. Um, but then, you know, I kind of got burned out. What I learned was I wanted to take the next step into bigger adventures. So I started doing more ultra running and, you know, me along with the whole rest of the ultra running community that read Chris McDougall's book, uh, born to run, you know, you, you read a story about Leadville and then all of a sudden it sort of clicks. It's like, I want to do that. And so like you're, asking me the story of my sort of performance, it was, a it was a lot of those things where it's like, oh, that looks ridiculously hard, but it also looks doable if you put your work into it. And so Leadville was really my motivation to, to get into the trails. It took me uh, probably three years to train and to get to the point where I could go out there and do it. And, um, but it's also, you know, similar to what I did with my professional career. So, you know, thinking about, exciting new adventures that I'd want to get into from a technology perspective. And so you had the, the road marathon experience and then, so then organized the new endeavor around Leadville and the, the, the what'd you say, the big rock to break down. And now you've, you've transitioned into a, a third phase or a third chapter where it's really an opportunity to do different things and expose yourself in new ways. And was that from the, it sounds like the uh, Leadville and the ultra running took a toll on the body. Uh, and so is it that that pushed you towards trying new stuff, getting in the water, uh, ra racing motorcycles, or was it something else? I think it's just, you know, all of a sudden it's about can you accumulate experience? So, you know, I'm, I find now that the interesting stories about the interesting experiences are the currency. And so, you know, to be able to say, Hey, March Madness, you know, I'm going to do all these crazy things. And it, it's really just about experiencing 
what's possible and, and to be able to like enjoy these different sports. You know, there was, there were a lot of times when I was training in Leadville that I got a lot of joy from being on the trail and it wasn't while I was racing, it was just being there. And, you know, so, and there are a lot of times you don't have to be in a competitive mode to enjoy surfing or, you know, obviously learning how to, you know, race a bike quickly around a track. And so for me, it, it has morphed into trying to accomplish one thing like a race and moved into enjoyment of the experience. I also heard that shift towards uh, beginner's mindset and that this whole idea of mastery being overrated, that it, it's fun to be a beginner again. Oh, man, I tell you, exactly. You know, and I, so I was on a panel session for entrepreneurs not too long ago, and they asked me, hey, what would, what would you tell your 25-year-old version of yourself? And I, you know, and, and I look back on it, and I think to myself, oh, man, I sweat a lot of details that didn't matter, and I didn't try enough new things. And so I was really hesitant to take risks or what I perceived as risks. But, you know, really they were, it wasn't until I started doing new experiences that I felt like I was growing. And I was frustrated when I was in my 20s because I was trying to get one thing done perfectly as opposed to, you know, rounding out myself and experiencing other things. And and as I look back on it now, in hindsight, the the variety of experiences, what makes me helpful to other other companies, other people. One of the things that's really standing out and what I'm excited to explore is how your performance career and then your uh, evolution of your professional career have really mirrored each other in some ways and that the skills that you learned uh, in, in that journey professionally then carried over in the way that you've now continued to seek opportunities to, you know, be the worst person in the water when it comes to surfing and being <laughs> excited about that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I think learning to jump from experience to experience is sort of what that currency is. And a lot of people, I hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, someday or, you know, they need to adapt and pivot, but they can't. And, and you know, sometimes you have to leave something you love behind because, and that can be very painful as well because you have to move on. And there's that sort of friction between letting go and, you know, you know all the grief that comes around that <laughs> versus, uh, you know, being able to take on, having the open-mindedness to be able to take on new things. And it's, it's sort of that attachment. If you want to go to a Buddhist point, you know, you can talk about this attachment is the source of suffering. And, and so for me, being able to be open-minded to try new things and not be afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone analyzes this word of failure, but to me, it, it's sort of like having the confidence that you can get into new things and maybe you're not going to be the world's best at it, but if you have the confidence that you can reinvent yourself and go into a new adventure, then that risk of failing is, is not, it doesn't feel so scary. Man, there's there's a lot to unpack there in terms of directions we could go, right? Because I'm um, I'm getting the light bulbs shining, you know, the with around growth mindset, right? There's the mental flexibility piece, right? So that attachment and then being able to notice that I'm attached to an idea or to my identity and then to have a skill that you can purposefully use, right? That it's not an accident, but instead you go, "Oh, that's no longer useful to me. Let me go ahead and unhook from that." 
Yeah. Right. So there's that piece. And then you mentioned confidence and, and fear of failure. And so there's kind of those different streams spreading out in front of us. Which one would you like to wander down? I think confidence coming from experience and being able to translate that into taking more risk. Because I think it's important for young people that are that are somewhat hung up on trying to master something as opposed to having the confidence to to attempt something and, you know, basically always say yes to, to someone. So I, always, I had a, you know, a close dear friend of mine who, like, it was yes to everything. And it was a, it was a beautiful mindset because you were never – most people – move to the negative. Most people think about, oh, well, I'm immediate, I'm going to react. My base point here is to say no, and then you got to convince me otherwise to get into it. And, and her viewpoint was beautiful because it was just, hey, convince me why I shouldn't do it. You know, why shouldn't I do this? And um, and it's it's that mindset that is embodied in that growth approach. And And it's what separates, frankly, I think, the great entrepreneurs, the great athletes from others who, you know, they get attached to mediocre ideas and they can't let go of it because everything else is a no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing a lot of the, that posture of yes is a lot about possibilities, Mm -hmm. right? When something's brought to you, whether it's, hey, do you want to go surf the Outer Banks for the first time? Or it's, hey, check out this new business idea. Rather than starting from a posture of, here's all the reasons why it wouldn't work, you go, oh, I can see a lot of different possibilities. I see opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I can prune from there, but it's really about that shift in posture, right? to not necessarily be protective and moving away from, but instead being interested and engaged almost. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, being interested in the state of mind that you know you're going to have when you're done with it, even if... <laughs> you know, you're going to suck at it for a while, but even when you're, even when you suck at it, when you're, when you come off the beach or when you come off the racetrack or, you know, whatever it is you're doing, if you come off the trail, if you're a first time trail runner and you're trying to bomb down a hill of a highly technical trail and, you know, you might just feel like this is terrible. I twist my ankle or whatever, you know, it takes practice. And so, but even the novices who come off of a gnarly trail run, you know, when they get to the bottom of it after attempting to bomb it, no matter how fast or slow they are, they're all just stoked. I mean, they're all fired up. They're like, man, that was so much fun. Or, you know, like that trail was beautiful. And so that mindset of knowing that you're going to be in a, in a different state of mind after the adventure. And yeah, I mean, if you're a master at it and you know, you slice through perfectly and all your lines are great or you get, you know, a PR coming down off a Hope Pass, whatever it is, you're, you know, you're still going to have that same state of mind. And so for me, I think looking at that, and you never know really what's possible until you get to the other side of that. And I'll give you a great story. I mean, yeah, the what I learned from my only DNF was – 10 minutes after I dropped, I realized I could have kept going. Like it was a mindset of, you know, I was completely wiped out, you know, somewhere around mile 75. And, you know, I threw in the towel. It was really, really early in my running career and in ultras. 
And I sat down, you know, got a little coffee, got some cookies. I sat down by a fire, got warm. And, you know, like 10 minutes later, I felt like a different person. I'm like, shit, I could have kept going. Like, why Mm. did I, you know, why did my brain let me stop? And it's like, it was only until I learned that lesson. So now when I think about, you know, not that I think about dropping, but when I talk to other people who are like right on the edge, if we're, you know, if we're coaching somebody in an ultra, if I'm, if I'm a, a safety runner in an ultra and somebody's really having a bad day and they're thinking about dropping, but you know, you know that if you get a little nutrition in them, you get them sit down, you get them to think about it. It's like they recover so quickly. So it, it's really amazing what your your mind will allow your body to do if if you keep it in the right positive mind frame, mind frame. I was actually just thinking of this earlier, totally spontaneous. The I had a buddy in the high country who liked to drag me up and down mountains on mountain bikes. Uh, and we would never drive all the way to the trailhead. We would park some absurd distance away and then we would ride to the trailhead. So like for me, what a normal ride, that was just the warm up. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing what happens when you go beyond what you like. If your legs are already shot and you haven't even hit the trail, you got to go find some more energy. Yeah. And it's amazing to know that it's in there uh, and to learn that firsthand because it can be really hard to watch some YouTube highlights of your favorite runner or your favorite biker and go like, oh, they can push through. I can too. Yeah. And uh, you know, so it sounds like you're able to share some of that. And I think you know, within the context of a coaching relationship, or if you're safety running, uh, and you can catch somebody in the moment, you can really tip the scales for them. I'm wondering whether it's an athlete or an entrepreneur. How do you learn that lesson that first time? Because you know, you're standing at the top of the cliff, getting ready to cliff jump, and if you've never jumped before, it's really hard to go like, you know what? Even the bad stuff is probably not that bad. Yeah. You know, every company is different. Every race is different. You know, everybody runs their own race. Everybody starts their own company. And, you know, even if you're a software company doing something exactly like what a hundred other companies are doing, your company, your experience is going to be different. And if it's the first time you've done it, it's almost impossible to know what it's going to feel like until you're out there, you know, and you, I look back on my first company and I agonize, like I said, I sweated the details over things that just absolutely did not matter. I mean, I burned the midnight oil. I was up till two in the morning sweating ridiculous payroll things that could have been outsourced. But, you know, I felt like I had to get all that right and I had to be the one doing it. You know, it's like at the time, to me, I felt like I had to do everything and I had to I, it was really just youth not understanding how to prioritize, not understanding where to put your effort and, you know, just the basic Pareto principle. And, you mm-hmm. know, for me, I didn't have a good understanding of where the 80% of the results were coming from. And so I spent a lot of time wasting wasting cycles. But, you know, I, I'm not sure anyone could have told me differently. You know, I had to swim around in those details. You had to swim around in the muck. And, you know, to go back to trail running – Nobody knows nobody knows what their body is going to do after having 50 miles on it or you know after being out there for 12 hours, 15 hours. Like you're a <laughs> your body is a different biological entity in 12 hours after 12 or 15 hours of running. And so everybody reacts differently and so you know you've got to be able to get yourself out to that point and feel it for the first time. And then the next time you'll know how to handle it. It's like, oh, I need more nutrition. I need less. And, you know, the next time you work on your startup, 
uh, you'll know what's what's important and what you're going to need and what your company needs. And so it, it's really a tough lesson. Now, mentorship can go a long way. So we we try, you know, we, we try to make sure our companies have all the best support they can. Mm. But every company is different and every entrepreneur is different because everyone has a different, you know, uh, outlook and mindset. So what what I'm hearing is if we were looking for a magic wand, right? If we were hoping that uh, you could learn the principles from somebody else just by watching the YouTube highlights, uh, that there's still got to be some experiential component, right? That somebody couldn't have actually told you different. If you could beam in a time machine back to your 20-something-year-old self, your 20-something-year-old self would be like, no, I really have to do this payroll. You don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. One of the other panelists actually said that uh, exact thing. You know, one of the other panelists' answers was, uh, hey, I don't think the 20-year-old self version of me would listen to anybody. <laughs> but I do, I do think that, you know, there are shortcuts, but at the same time, you got to put the work in. And, and mm-hmm. over time, that's really all experience is. And so if you can move more quickly to the point of where you have a growth mindset to take on new experience. You know, I might have been able to let things go faster if if I had thought, all right, well, I want to do this other stuff. So I ran my first startup company for about 11 years, and I read a book. And, and I my PhD is in aerospace engineering. And so one of the most common questions I get is, how on earth did you spend the last 15 years of your career in biotech? You're an aerospace engineer. And it's like it immediately defines who, what the world, how the world puts labels on you. Because, you know, when I say I did my Ph.D. in aerospace engineering and then I said, yeah, and I've, I've been a startup founder for an oncology diagnostics company. They're like that, that just doesn't compute for people. But for me, it was I got to the point where I was running my first startup company. I had mastery over that company to the point we – we were selling to aerospace and defense companies, and I had taken such a deep dive in that one industry. Our software was used by nine of the top ten aerospace and defense companies in the world. I could walk into – I had badges to Boeing, to Lockheed Martin. I had – you know, I knew all the people at all the big industry. So it was like this hyper-focused it, – it, incredible mastery of one industry mm. and it's it's very equivalent to the marathon running I did you know I just killed myself in one industry killed myself in one sport and I read a book called the genome war and it was all about the mapping of the human genome and Craig Ventner in the battle between the public and the private sector of mapping the human genome and this book was you know released probably around 2003 or four. And it was right after they had, they had released the first DNA sequence of the human genome in, in about 2000. I read that book, and it was like, I want to do that. And it was exactly the same feeling I had as, you know, when I read Born to Run, and they talked about Leadville, and I said, I want to do that. And that book single-handedly got me out of the aerospace industry and into the biotech industry. And, you know, it's not as if I just left all those lessons of aerospace behind because now I have all the depth of experience of systems engineering and software and defense contractors and, you know, what makes an F-22 fly. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) 
there are things that translate. There obviously are things that don't translate to biology. But at the same time, leadership and technology and ability to manage projects, I mean, those are all, there's a lot of very valuable transferable things. And I didn't, I felt like I started growing exponentially when I made that career shift. And, you know, most, and some people would never make that shift. So one of the reasons why I was really excited to have this conversation and why I want to have conversations like this in general is because I, I didn't know a lot of this about you, right? <laughs> We've known each other for a while now, and I, I yeah. love getting the backstory to go with it, like your origin story as a superhero. Uh, and the funny story, I actually had no idea that you had a PhD for like the first three or four years we knew each other. It was so like under the radar, you don't walk around you're, being like, that's doctor, really please. You, you, yeah, you're the only one that I don't make call me Dr. Malone. So, you know, consider yourself privileged. Oh, well, I didn't know I fell right in between <laughs> that, uh, right in the middle of the Venn diagram then. No, uh, it's, uh, it's funny. Um, well, and so the, you know, the stories are amazing, but what I'm hearing a lot of is this interest or maybe just an itch that you got that you listened to that said getting out of what was comfortable, right? Because mastery isn't always comfortable, right? We can continue to push the edge, right? But it gets harder to find an edge when you're that good at something or have spent that much time in it. And so for you, both performance-wise and then from a career, you saw something that was exciting and rather than holding on to and not having that flexibility, right? You were able to say, I can totally reinvent myself just because I was an aerospace engineer doesn't mean I have to continue to do that which is not something that most people have the capacity to do. And so the question would be, how did that happen? I think it boils down to intellectual curiosity. I think passion and curiosity and at least the ability to work hard. You know, a, a PhD really is just a, a label they put on you for saying, okay, you've spent 11 years at this institution and you've worked really hard at writing this long manuscript and diving. You now have become an expert in one very esoteric, fine, highly, you know, honed thing. You know, for me, the transit, I, I sucked at biotech, just like I sucked at trail running when I started. And, but it didn't deter me because I was really fascinated. I was genuinely, you know, interested. I listened to podcasts, you know, when they were, before they were podcasts, you know, you listen to these goofy little recordings of people talking about biotech and sequencing the genome. And this was before CRISPR and before mm. all the cool technologies. And so, I mean, I was very, very fortunate to have some connections that got me into my very first biotech company. And I, you know, I got a job building a software comp a software team inside a biotech company. And so I took 50% of what I knew. You know, I was a software geek from the aerospace industry. Mm -hmm. So I left the airplanes behind, but I brought my mastery of software to the new industry. And that, that's really what helped me make that transition. But my passion to understand what makes this biology of the DNA tick mm -hmm. really kept me motivated and it kept me learning it, until I got to a certain point of where okay, I, I knew the basics and I could work and communicate with people in the industry. I think one of the big challenges is not listening to that passion and curiosity to start with, right? With clients that I've engaged or students when I was teaching, that it can be easy 
to miss the signal for the noise uh, and not pick up on that moment, that spark where you were reading Born to Run and went, oh, this is it, right? Or uh, picked up the book about the genome and went, ah, that's, no, this is the next step. Yeah. And then from there, it was taking an expertise that you'd already earned, right? Through the hard work, whether it was running or it was the software piece. And it was finding a way to feed that curiosity and then, you know, we can become really good at something, right? But in a different context with a different group of people in a different way. Yeah, you know, and I had a starting point. I had a base to work from. So if I had not been doing so much marathoning, I would not have had a base to launch into ultra running. I mean, that, you know, it, it would have been a lot more work. If I didn't, if I hadn't have gone through a PhD program of any discipline, you know, it would have been much harder for me to acclimate into the biotech field, for example. And so, you know, I had a running start. It wasn't like these were completely green field, new shiny things. It, to, in hindsight, they're very incremental. And But the thing that kept me going is a lot of people get distracted by something that's shiny and trendy, and they chase it for a little while, but they really don't have the deep passion for it. You know, like for me, a lot of the, the interest in biotech was the desire to be part of that club because the club was so damn cool. You know, it was like, mm. these are guys who map the code of life. And it's like, I want to meet. And I finally eventually got to meet Francis Collins, uh, Craig Ventner. You know, like I set a goal, which was, I want to be part of this club and I want to meet these just giants of science. So and, th- and that's really what motivated me to keep going, even when I sucked at it. So this is really exciting because we have a new a new player on the on the court, right? So we were thinking about at least I was thinking about mastery and competence and and this idea of also being able to make choice, right? Being able to say, you know what, not this, now it's that. But what I'm hearing now is a ton of the connection, wanting to be in part of the the group of people who are doing the cool work. Or, you know, from what I know of you and the ultra community, right? Once you're in the club, once you've gone and you've been on the trail a little bit, like that's a, a fun club to be a part of as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, well, from the the new standpoint, right? Because uh, I do want to get into your new day job, right? That the, hearing you talk about it, there's a big community piece as well. That sense of building something, uh, people like us do things like this. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess to kick things off, what are you doing now as a day job? Because it's no longer biotech specific. Now I I have the best job you could. I have the job that was designed for me, and I didn't, never knew it. So I am the CEO of the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. So we are a university research park. We have 227 technology companies in our park. We've got 37 buildings um, sprawled over 200-plus acres. It is a beautiful campus, and we have over 3,500 people that are that are – working every day to launch their company, to keep their company going, to grow to the next level. And and so I am just in heaven because we have companies that are working in biotech, companies that are working in drug discovery, uh, companies that are working in aerospace software. You know, um, we, now we have companies that are doing quantum computing. So at any given day, I can be talking, you know, diagnostics for diabetes in the morning and talk about quantum computing in the afternoon. And so it's it's really exciting because 
I don't think I would be comfortable in this job if I didn't feel like I could move around laterally across all these different experiences. And I can relate to the entrepreneurs. You know, they're, they're people like me. They're, they're starting companies. They're investigators. They're, they're technology people. They're disruptors. They're big thinkers. And so um, it, it's just fantastic to be able to help them. And really all I do is, is just try to open some doors for people and try to help their companies with whatever resources they need. And, and so you get the opportunity to be with people like you, the big thinkers, the disruptors, the, the ones who are interested in starting something new. Right? But you also get to scratch the itch of intellectual curiosity, right? You get to be across all those different concepts, constructs, theories. Uh, I know you just recently started a podcast, and now you get to have geeky conversations and record them too. I do. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, as part of the... It's part of the learning curve. I'm sucking at the podcast, but I'm getting better. Each one gets a little better. I've like tipped over into the breaking point of like, okay, well, that wasn't so bad. And, you know, as long as you have uh, interesting topics. But you're right. I, I actually, I still get to really grow and learn new things. And here's a great example. I never thought I would find myself in in my career dealing with this, but it's kind of fun and I'm trying to figure it out. But, you know, what does it take to design, engineer and architect uh, a big commercial real estate transaction because, you know, there we have to build buildings to stay ahead of the company. So we're building labs. And so I'm partnering with real estate investors to build biotech buildings here. And it's cool because now I get to see the facility side of it. But what's important, what's near and dear to me is to, we got to get this building right because these game changers are going in there, you know, so we've got to get the labs right because the companies are depending on us to have the, the facilities they need to grow. And so Virginia Tech's a big partner of us, so, of ours. So we're building an engineering building for Virginia Tech on our campus as part of a swing, what they call the swing building. So the university renovates their engineering space. And while they're doing that, they have to send the departments over to our campus. So we're building a building for the aerospace engineering department. And so to come full circle full, yeah, and come all the way man. home, you know, and, right. and I told our team, I said, we got to get this one right. You know, if we, if we screw up the aerospace engineering building, uh, Be that's going to look, look pretty for bad. You, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the more I'm, I'm listening, the more I'm hearing that sense of, of connection and community, right. Oh, to yeah. get it right for the, the people that you're working for oh, so yeah. that they can go in and they can be a game changer. And uh, so it's that interesting combination of wanting and feeling deeply connected to the group mixed with, I think, uh, a drive towards mastery, but also a, a fearlessness that comes with being like, you know what, if I fall flat on my face, like one, I'm doing something interesting and two, I'm going to get way better. And so it's no big deal. Yeah. And so to think about how to start practicing those skills. Right. If I was going to try to do this a little bit for myself today, what could that look like in a, in a short experimental way? If you had, I'm putting you on the spot here, coming up with a mental training exercise, ready, set, go. Well, you know, the theme that we've talked about are some of those things that I've gotten really passionate about and have sort of directed my trajectory towards. And they've not always been big things like moving into biotech, but a good experiment in my mind is really 
is there something in your subconscious that's driving you to be, you know, purely intellectually interested in something? And, you know, just, just I know you know this coming from all the body of research, but, you know, your consciousness can only process so much. Your subconscious is is in bringing so much signal in and you know we're getting that sort of dopamine response when something hits that we we find enjoyment out of mm-hmm. or we find passion or like there's so i think the exercise is even on a small scale you know what kind of what moves the needle for you and then do a thought experiment and say man what would it look like for me to chase that and you know i don't know does that mean you know going out and surfing the outer banks does that mean uh applying to a different job? Does that mean going to your boss and saying, hey, I want to go, I want to try this. I've always been interested in doing this. Give me a chance. I want to try this. You know, it doesn't have to be a giant career risking leap. But I think if you can progressively, as an exercise, to test and push the boundaries of this growth mindset, like Mm -hmm. I think everyone has it. It's more of, okay, you know, don't stay attached to mediocre ideas or don't let a good idea go. Like mm-hmm. if there's something you're passionate about, act on it. And that's a way to test your growth mindset. And, you know, read some, take a weekend and read some books on it. I can't tell you how many books on biotech I read just because I was trying to figure out the damn nomenclature, you know, like how do you spell mm-hmm. DNA? So, you know, like that was, <laughs> that took me a weekend. So it was a big I, weekend. Yeah. Uh, and so the there's two pieces here, right? The being able to tune into what actually moves the needle, right? And then the second part, which is how can I test that in a small way, yeah. right? So actually taking action on, whether it's buying a book and reading it or having a conversation, uh, it's, it's really trying to put on the shoes to see if they fit rather than daydreaming about what it would be like to have the shoes on. Yeah. I think... Yeah, and I think you can act on this big or small. You know, not everyone is in a position where they can just sell their company and go into a completely new industry and hope for the best. You know, I had the fortunate ability to do that, but, you know, you can still test your your willingness to grow. You can still test your grit, you know, on smaller things. And and I think it's important. You You just build those muscles. In my mind you know, start saying yes to a few more things. And it comes up every day. I mean, so even the simplest exercise of, hey, you know, like if your buddy says, hey, we've never done this, but let's go down and paddle this river. And it's like, hey, just say yeah. You know, like don't even let yourself say, oh, well, I got to do this. I got to do this. You know, don't make excuses. Just take one thing over a course of a week that you normally would think a couple times about and then just say, screw it, I don't, I don't care what the consequences are. I'm just going to say yes and just go do this and see what happens. And it's like sort of, you know, I know we, we are, we're all sort of geeking out on mindfulness and being present and thinking about what that means. And, I mean, maybe it, it's, in my mind it's simpler than that by just saying, all right, well, I'm just going to kind of go with it and see what happens. Well, and, and you can be present in motion. You can be present yeah. to the resistance that comes up and then you can be present to saying yes anyway. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting, you know, I get caught telling people to say no more often, right? <laughs> but I think that the distinction here is 
right? I'm generally telling people to say no to those default things they feel obligated to say yes to, particularly at work. Yeah. Uh, whereas what you're sharing is right this idea that if we have a narrow vision of our identity, if we have a narrow vision of what we're capable of or what we can do, even if stuff we would like to do is outside of that, then you can start to say yes to more of those things that brush up against and create friction around that identity. Right? If I'm not a person who goes and paddles the new river, right? Like maybe this weekend I am. Yeah. And as long as you're mitigating for like physical risk, right? You don't want to go paddle well, the river and die. Don't right? be wear, stupid and shoot a class five, but that's all right. right. You know, you know wear a helmet if you're going to paddle the river and all that and uh, go with buddies, safety, uh, buddy system, all of that cover my liability bases. But you're, you're touching on the exact right point, which is we personally put our own labels on ourselves, and then we get mad at ourselves because we're in this little box. And it's like, just stop labeling yourself. It's like, stop saying, oh, I'm not an ultra runner. You know, who cares? Like, you just go out and run, you know, like go hit the trail and enjoy the trail. Or, you know, like, oh, I couldn't possibly go out and, you know, do this. Because I'm not, I'm not a surfer or, you know, like, oh, I'm not that, I'm not in that club. It's like, those are all just stupid labels that we put on ourselves. And if you kind of drop the myth of who you have to be to move into a new experience, then you're going to be more willing to take on some new, new challenges. And, and that's where the growth comes from. And I think it snowballs because once you learn how to do that, you know, we, I, I'll go all the way back to the shift that I made from aerospace to biotech. Now, you know, I ended up towards the end of my career before I took this job, I was doing a lot of consulting and I was consult, I was taking gigs with like probiotic companies, you know, and they were retail sales on Amazon. I mean, I didn't know the first thing of that stuff, but it was like super cool. The people I was working with were motivated and I just kind of dove in and, you know, I I found myself, it was much easier to take on experiences. Like there's a fundamental basis that I felt like, okay, I'm qualified to at least jump in the water here. Yeah. But, you know, I know my abilities to adapt will help me get through this. So I, I think this is a really big piece that we tend to get wrong when it comes to confidence and trust, right? Because people want to be confident that the outcome is going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Instead, I think what we need to trust is that I can adapt when stuff shows up, right? And I have the capacity to learn because what a lot of the story that I'm hearing is, right, that your meta skills have continued to get better. Your ability to learn, your ability to connect, your ability to uh, scratch the itch and follow mm -hmm. that passion when it comes up. Mm -hmm. That's all continued to improve as you've experimented in different disciplines, tried different careers on, and it's gotten easier to be flexible as you've gone on. Yeah. And and so that capacity then to have trust in those skills and say, you know what, if I fall flat on my face when I'm I'm out surfing, that's all right. I'm going to grab the board. I'm going to hop back on the board. It's not going to be yeah. that big a deal. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm an engineer by training, so I have to have a plan that includes a flow chart and a Gantt chart and usually a critical path. And so the hardest thing for me is to let go of some of that sort of false sense of control. And there's, there's a plan and we can control that outcome. You know, you, you got to be smart and have a plan, but at the same time, you can't really engineer the outcome. All you can do is sort of start dealing with. And, and I think as soon as you have, if you learn how to communicate 
that balance of, okay, I'm not an idiot just going blindly into something. I've, I've thought this through. And at the same time, there are things that we just can't know right now, but we've got to get started. And so you, you launch into it knowing that you have the ability to adapt and improvise and overcome, to borrow the term from the Marines. But, you know, this, this spills over into an organization too. So when I talk about community and when, I talk, when we go back to entrepreneurship oh, yeah. and when you start leading people, mm-hmm. when you start building a team, you know, your company has to grow beyond yourself. And your company is – your company culture is a reflection of your values and your mindset. So – if you learn this skill, you will become a better leader. You'll be infectious and you will be, you know, even though you might not have all the answers, if, you're, if your confidence keeps your organization moving forward, you know, you, you can't be blindly leading. You have to be able to have a vision and have a direction and help your team see that. But your team also has to see that, okay, I don't have all the answers, but we're going in this direction. You have that confidence. You're not wavering. You know, uh, that's where the conflict comes in. And so if your team sees you leading from a position of confidence, and they'll follow you. And it's not about following as much as it is you're inspiring them to help you. And so that inspiration comes from that growth mindset. You know, it's like, Companies that are struggling or they're, they've hit plateaus, they've lost the growth mindset because now they're playing not to lose as opposed mm-hmm. to we're playing to win. And, you know, I, that's what I see. That's how I see teams and people, even just in a one-on-one relationship, you know, like you can become more infectious. You can become more magnetic if, uh, you know, if you have that confidence to be able to say, look, I don't have all the answers. But I'm confident that together we'll get there. Well, and people love that. It's the paradox of by demonstrating some humility, you actually help inspire because you don't have to have all the answers. Then they don't have to have all the answers. But boy, do you have the tools to go get them. And yeah. uh, what I'm yeah. hearing is, and I don't know actually podcast protocol, so I don't know how long we have to wait, but I'm hearing an episode two where we start to unpack <laughs> leadership, which is really exciting. I love uh, the I love the the theme and it's so important because if you're going to grow a company you've got to get beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. And so leadership is huge and you know you've got to get yourself you got to figure out what how am I impacting these people and what things you know there's a lot we can unpack there for sure. Well so I now have you on on recording having agreed to a round 2 so uh, Here I am. Yes. Uh before I let you go I do want to be mindful of time but I have a couple of wrap up questions. Okay, lightning round. Uh, yeah, so we're going to go uh, related to trail running, if that's okay with you. Good. Uh, how much percentage-wise is physical and how much is mental? Oh, man. Um, ultra. Once you get past marathon distance, you know, I, I think it's it's 80% mental, honestly. I mean, I think you've got to have a base. You've got to train. But people, you're, you're, the energy in your body is, is unfathomable. People have no idea what their capacity is what their capacity really is in their body. And it's not until you really get it dialed in mentally. So I don't know. For me, so, for me, Leadville was 80% mental. And it's like you had to be able to say it's possible. Well, and this is self-serving because I'm, I've signed up for the Moab Trail Marathon. 
And right. so I'm, I'm trying to gather all the tips I can related to trail running leading up to November. Uh, well, you got to read and, Desert Solitaire. So you got to read Edward Abbey if you're going to go to Moab and Arches and, you yeah, know. Perfect. This is study, my weekend study book the list, ghost. right? Yeah, study the ghost of Ed Abbey. But, um, no, I mean, it. it is making, I think having the confidence, and, and this goes to what you do so well, Pete, which is, you know, helping people understand that you've done the work. I mean, the training is in the bank. Like, you know, I used to tell this when I was coaching, but it's like, People, we'd show up on race day for people to do their very first marathon. And they had already run multiple, like 18 milers, 20 milers. We never got them. We never put them out to the distance of 26 miles. And it was a little bit psychological, but it was also just, you know, these were first-time runners in a lot of cases, first-time marathoners. And so, you know, they would have run 20 miles. But they showed up at the starting line for their marathon, 26.2 miles, and you would have thought we were asking them to run 500 miles. It's mm-hmm. like it's it's another 20 miler, and then just do another loop, you know. And, and it's like, but people, once they cross the finish line, you could see the switch go off. You could see that now they got it, and it's like they could never have it until they got to that finish line. It's like, oh, I can do the 26.2. So 80-20, you said. And I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it at marathon distance just because don't then I can don't apply forget it to, to train. myself too. Yeah, well, don't don't forget to train. You got to log Wait. the miles, but you so know I I can't think myself across the finish line. You're saying you Sports can try. Psych isn't all powerful. Yeah, you can try. It's helpful, but you know people overtrain. Everybody, most people mm-hmm. overtrain because they don't. They think they need more miles. I mean, you know the the worst injuries come from overuse, and overuse is like people running junk miles because. They don't have a plan. They're not training with purpose. You know, I I was lucky. I had a great coach. I'll give a shout out, Francesca Conte. She runs the uh, – and she was the, uh, the the race organizer Saturday that I helped run her ultra. And so I was her safety runner, which was really fun to be with her. Um, but, you know, Francesca really trained me very specifically – to very specific parts of the Leadville course. So I went out and I I trained and I ran it the first year. And it's like, God, you know, I really sucked at this part. And it it wasn't really the climbing. It wasn't really the altitude. It was like there was this one part where you had to run almost five miles on a road in the middle of the course. And it wasn't steep, but it was just paved. It was hot. It was the middle of the day. And, you know, you need – it was an opportunity for you to bank good time if you got there the right way. But if you if you kind of if you didn't have the right training mentality to hit that road section the right way, you also could have lost a lot of time. And so I trained very specifically every time I went on a trail run, I could visualize the part of the race that I was I was trying to accomplish, whether it was like a tough hill climb, you know, the backside of Hope Pass. But um yeah, I think to answer your question I'm not sure I remember what the question was. Maybe 80-20, but, yeah, you know, you, don't forget I, to train. Don't don't forget to train and <laughs> You can edit that out, right? <laughs> uh, well, and then uh, last question. And so I'm always curious about the the beautiful moment, right? Everybody who's drawn to a, a sport or performance endeavor, there's something about that experience that's just beautiful, even if it's not actually beautiful, right? I've, I've been to enough trail races and crewed them to know that there's snot and blood and other things. 
but I guess for you, what's the beautiful moment? And it could be training, it could be performance, it could be anywhere other than that, uh, right? But related to that experience, what would you qualify as the beautiful moment? For me, it's really crystal clear. So the top of Hope Pass, it was getting dark. You know, the aid station at 12,500 feet is, you know, they got a campfire going, they're serving you chicken soup with mashed potatoes in it. And it's like, man, it all you want to do is kind of curl up. You already got like 65 miles on your body. And, you know, I sat down in front of the fire just for a minute. And I remember telling myself, if I stay here 30 more seconds, I'm never going to leave. And so I got up, left the warmth, put my headphones on. I forget what I cranked, some some kind of crazy music. And I just bombed down the front side of Hope Pass. And it's like, you know, I kind of got this new energy, which was driven from, A, I can do this. You know, B, I had motivation to get down the hill, to to get to Twin Lakes. And, you know, that stretch is incredibly memorable in my mind. It was getting dark. I had my headlamp on. It was just me in the mountain. And, you know, I declared that I would get down that mountain in, in the time cutoff, and I certainly did. But um, that to me is very memorable. I can think back and see that very visually to this day. You know, crossing the finish line was awesome, but I was pretty toasted. And, you know, um, there, there's so many moments that you can think about. But it's the beautiful moments for me have always been when I've dug deeper than I thought I could. And I came up with something that got me further along than I thought I could get. Man, that is, I'm getting goosebumps because I've been, <laughs> I've been on that stretch of trail as it's been getting dark oh, with man. the headlamps on and, uh, and it's cold up there and the bonfire you know, is so toasty. everyone, well, here was, here's the thing I forgot to say. So everyone else sitting around the bonfire had dropped. So they all collectively decided like, oh, I'm not going to make the cutoff or even if I make the cutoff, I'll never make it down to half pipe. And so Everyone collectively sat around the fire. They just kind of threw in the towel. And, you know, I looked around at them. I said, I'm going. And they were all sort of collectively like, yeah, cheer me on. But, you know, I was not going to throw in the towel at the top of the mountain like that. Well, I think that's a perfect spot to leave it. I, I could keep talking and I would just defile the, 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 the gorgeous moment that you just shared. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for being here. Before I let you go, uh, where can people find you or learn more about the Corporate Research Center? So the CRC, you can find us at vtcrc.com. Um, we are always looking for game changers, disruptors. If you have an idea for a company, if you have a company, um, if you're a student looking to start a company, we, you know, we are really uh, welcoming to the whole community of people who have a big idea, big plans. We're um, we're building new space to make it easy. We're building new programs to make it easy for people to get involved with the CRC even earlier on. Uh, we're we're creating new co-working space. We're building labs for those biotech companies who need space with purpose. And so vtcrc.com, check us out. Give me a call. Um, find my information on our website. Drop me an email. I would be glad to talk to you about anything and everything. All right, that's it for today. If you liked this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show and don't forget to rate and leave a review. If you want to dive deeper into the concepts and concrete practices from today, I'm talking 
access to show notes and the transcript for the episode, and a whole bunch of other mental training goodies, head over to mtl.academy. That's mtl.academy. Each week after the episode goes live, I'll also be sharing a worksheet that's going to help you level up your mindset and mental skills. And the only way to get access is through our weekly newsletter. So when you hit the bottom of the webpage, don't forget to sign up for that too. Until next time, be well. 